0: right? Well, as uh, Coop said earlier, he's our director of student ministries. He said earlier, happy Father's Day to all the fathers. Can we give another round of applause? It was kind of a week earlier for all fathers do. Um, And uh, we have so much respect, fathers, for you and for the way you engage your families and your children and their lives. And um, we were going to say thank you afterwards with the bacon bar. All I'm saying is I've never even heard of bacon rice crispy treats but that is one of, this isn't normal bacon out there, okay, guys? Y'all need to get excited. This is cinnamon rolls filled with bacon, bacon rice crispy treats, and more. And so, look, you need to run out the doors when the service is over. Um, but don't sneak out during the last song, okay? You've got to wait until we do the send out. But we're so excited that you've chosen to join us for worship this morning here on Father's Day. We know there's a lot of places you could be, but we're excited that you're joining us as we continue in our series called Express Yourself where each week during the month of June, we're looking at a different emotion and how God calls us to express it in a helpful way rather than a harmful way. And throughout this series, um, we've been looking at a number of different emotions because God created us not just to think and not just to act, but He created us as people who feel. And we've been talking about how God, when we feel something, doesn't want us to just react to it. God wants us to reflect and then respond because we can't always Control how we feel inside, but we can control how we express those feelings and how we respond to them. And sometimes when we react quickly to what we're feeling, it can get us in trouble, actually. Amen? Amen. Amen. So that actually happened recently in the in a court in Israel. There was a, a situation that happened between a landlord and a potential renter. And so this landlord put the home for listing online and put the price out there, and was trying to get people who were interested so that they could make some income on their rental property. And so they put it out there, and they received a number of messages. And one of the text messages that the landlord received was this one. This person reacted out of their excitement and sent this text message. They said, good morning, Smiley. We want the house, flamenco dancer, double dancers, peace sign, comet, squirrel, champagne, champagne. Just need to go over the details, when suits you. So the landlord got this text message. This person reacted. They were so excited, and the landlord took the house off the market. Next day, landlord texts the person back, hey, you know, let's get together. No response. Next day, landlord gives the person a call saying, hey, you know, let's get together, figure this out. No response. And now for you you adults in here, what we call that nowadays is ghosting. Ghosting. That's when you just stop replying to somebody's text messages and act like they don't exist. Students, you know, y'all know what I'm talking about. So this person ghosted the landlord, and so the landlord took the person to court and said that due to loss of income, loss of rental income, because I I had to put my house back on the market, I was delayed, I'm suing them, and I'm trying to get some money because they clearly showed intent to rent the house. And the judge, hold on, go back. The judge actually ruled that because of this text message, that this text message displayed clear intent to buy the house. Because, I mean, if you look at the text message and the emojis, right, clearly they display optimism and excitement about renting the house. That's what the judge said. Now, I don't know what the comet means or the squirrel means, so if you're really into emojis and you can explain the comet and the squirrel, that would be helpful to me. But what happened was the judge ultimately ruled that this person who sent this text message reacting to their excitement owed the landlord $3,000, and if you need to know the dollar emojis, here are the dollar emojis as we're doing lessons each week on how to spin the emojis. So sometimes reacting to our emotions and reacting instantly with emojis can get us in trouble. And it's the same way we've been talking about with the emotions that we feel deep inside of us. Whether it's joy, whether it's sadness, whether it's whatever we're feeling, when we react quickly instead of reflecting and then responding, it can get us in a lot of trouble. And the emotion that we're going to be talking about today has gotten a lot of people in trouble. It's caused a lot of lawsuits. It's caused a lot of pain. It's caused a lot of destruction in relationships when it's expressed in a destructive and a harmful way. But what's interesting is this emotion has also led to peace and also led to justice in our world when it's expressed in a constructive way. And the emotion we're going to be talking about this morning is anger. And now, fathers, this is not a Father's Day message. This is not directed at you in any way, shape, or form. If you knew my father, you would know that because my father is like the least angry person I know in the world. He has rarely shown anger to me. So men, this isn't directed at you this morning. This is directed at all of us because all of us have experienced anger at some point in our lives. And all of us, really, we experience anger on a regular basis in our lives. And for some of us, the anger, it just happens in an instant, right? It just wells up inside of us and we instantly want to react. Our face is like the angry emoji. It just turns red and everybody can see what's going on. But for others of us, the anger kind of bubbles up slowly. It slowly rises up. And then some of us, we don't let it show in our face. Some of us, we just stuff it down in our hearts. And we grow resentment inside of us. And we don't express it outwardly in ways that people might be able to see. We express it outwardly in ways by withholding love from other people, by giving people the cold shoulder and in other destructive ways. All of us have experienced anger in our own unique ways because we're all created uniquely by God. But one of the things that we all have in common is anger. It's something we express a lot, we feel a lot. And you know, a lot of times when we're experiencing anger, we don't think about what's going on inside of us or why we're experiencing anger. But if you kind of step back from anger and dissect it a little bit, what you'll discover is that anger is oftentimes caused in our lives because of unmet expectations. We have unmet expectations, and a lot of times that leads to anger. And so when we have these unmet expectations, and then we add fear into the mix, anger tends to bubble up. And it tends to overflow from us. So, for example, I'll just give you some ways to think about our anger. So, say you text message your friend. You're like, hey, let's meet for lunch at 12 o'clock. Let's go to, where's your favorite restaurant? Cracker Barrel. Hey, let's go to Cracker Barrel at 12 o'clock. You know what? You leave 15 minutes early because you know you've got to fight a lot of traffic to get over there to Cracker Barrel. So, you get there. You're there at 12 o'clock. Friend's not there. Okay, you know what? Just play on your phone, respond to your messages, you know, look at the little emoji keyboard, do all your stuff. Okay, 12 o'clock, 12.05, you're like, okay. 12.07, you send the text. Like, hey, you coming? 12.15, you call, friend doesn't respond. I mean, clearly, you you had an expectation you were going to meet at 12 o'clock because that's what you agreed upon. 12.25, you're like, you know what, I really love this person. I'm going to wait around. 12.30, No response. Now you've got to go back to work. And you didn't even eat yet because you were waiting on them. And so you're not only angry because of this unmet expectation, you're also hungry. And do you know what happens when you add hungry and angry together? Hangry. It's another lesson for for some folks in here. Hangry. So then you're hangry going back to work. And then the fear kicks in. And you start thinking, well, I wonder if my friend doesn't love me. It doesn't care about me, clearly. And then you're like, you know what? I've been putting a lot more into this relationship than they have lately. The fear and the threats begin to move in, and that anger rises up within you. Maybe you experience most of your anger in your household with your spouse. Maybe when day after day your spouse just puts all of their clothes on the floor, leaves all of their dishes in the sink, leaves all of their stuff all around the house. Maybe that's what causes anger to grow inside of you because you just have this expectation that any reasonable adult would put stuff where it goes, right? You put the dishes in the dishwasher and you put the clothes in the hamper, amen? Amen. That's a reasonable expectation, a lot of people think. And yet, your spouse doesn't do it. So the anger grows. And every time you have to pick up one of those shirts... You just think, maybe they don't even care about me anymore. Maybe they don't care about our house that we worked so hard to get. Maybe our children are going to learn this behavior and I'm going to spend the rest of my life cleaning up after everybody in this house and I can't even do anything else. That's when the anger starts to rise. When you have the unmet expectation added with these fears and these thoughts that we have in our minds. And sometimes we express it. Maybe students, you can relate to this one. Your teacher gives you a study guide for the test. And now a study guide implies that it's a guide for your studies. And so if you study it, you'll do well. And so you study the study guide, then you get the test, and it's not the same thing. It's very different. And you had this expectation that if you just study the study guide, then you'll do well on the exam. And so when you see that test, your expectation is destroyed. And that anger starts. And then you begin having fear. What are my parents going to say if I fail this test? What's going to happen to my GPA? And then you want to lash out. Anger is oftentimes a product of unmet expectations and this fear that comes into our lives. And a lot of times we want to express it by simply reacting, by firing off that angry message to our friend and just put, forget about lunch, I don't want to talk to you. And then you just ignore their calls for the next few weeks or months. Or for your spouse, you know what? Reacting, it doesn't look like anything outwardly. Instead, you just pick up those clothes day after day and you just bottle up little drops of anger deep in your heart and resentment begins to grow. Or your teacher, you just put your teacher on blast on Instagram or on Snapchat and just talk bad about her, right? We react in so many different ways, but God doesn't want us to simply react to the anger that we feel. God wants us to reflect and then respond. Because a lot of times when we're feeling angry inside, it's pointing us to an issue or something going on in our lives that needs to be addressed. And this is why Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 4, he says this. He says, in your anger, do not sin. In the English Standard Version of the Bible, it says, be angry and do not sin. And now you can read the passage, be angry and do not sin. You're like, hey, be angry. God has commanded it. Now I have a pass to be angry all day long, and I can just continue doing what I do every day and feel good about yourself. That's not what he's saying here. Here, Paul is acknowledging that anger is an inevitable part of the human experience. That we're all going to feel it at some level And a lot of us are going to feel it on a regular basis. He's acknowledging, look, you're going to feel angry. But when you do, don't let it lead you to sin. And he gives us some clues right afterwards about how our anger leads us to sin. He says this, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. So how does anger typically lead us to sin? What leads us to sin when it's unexpressed and it's unaddressed and it's unresolved. Paul says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. He's saying, look, you need to deal with your anger in a helpful way, in a timely manner. And now, is Paul being literal here about literally before the sun goes down? I don't know. Because here's what I do know. Some people, it's probably better to go to sleep at 2 a.m. rather than fighting it out like cats and dogs. It's probably better to go to sleep and then just resolve it quickly in the morning. But Paul says... Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Deal with it, express it, address it in a helpful way. Because if you don't, the devil will get a foothold. That is, the devil will have a place from which to work in your life and in your relationships. And reading this passage reminds me of when I was in college living with three of my best friends. We shared a tiny apartment together, and if you've ever shared an apartment with somebody, you know that it tests your relationships. This apartment had no dishwasher, so regularly our relationships were tested as dishes piled up in the sink. Apartment full of four guys. Our relationships were tested as the refrigerator space was at a minimum, and people began to eat each other's foods. And our relationship was tested because every time we walked by the trash can or put something in it, we would just stuff it down a little bit further. Because we knew that if it finally overflowed, we'd have to admit that it was full and then we'd have to take it out. So every time we would just keep stuffing our garbage in. We had a lot of issues that we had to work through, but we loved each other, you know. We loved each other. So one day, a few of us came back to the apartment after class and we walk in the door and we smell something. I'm like, what is that smell? It wasn't a normal smell. This wasn't like a normal garbage smell. So we began kind of walking around the apartment, going to the bathrooms. No, it wasn't in the bathrooms. Looking in the den and looking all over like maybe it's an animal. I don't know what. It was a a different kind of smell. And then finally somebody went into the kitchen. And there on the eye of the stove was a kettle. And the eye of the stove was turned on high. Now, we had all been in class for like the last six hours. And three out of the four of us were there. And so we're like, hey, did you put this on just a minute ago? I'm like, no, no. And we quickly realized from the clues and the evidence around the stove that our buddy David, who's a very distracted kind of squirrel chasing guy, we realized that what he had done is he had put a kettle of water to boil before class to make some coffee, and then he forgot about it. And so the water had boiled out over the course of six hours because that's what happens, And then when we lifted up the pot, the kettle broke into pieces. It was metal, but the metal, all of the seals began to break, and it broke down because it had destroyed the pot because the heat was so high and it had been there so much. And so, look, it's a reasonable expectation not to leave the stove on for six hours with stuff on top of it, right? That's reasonable. And then, with that unmet expectation that David didn't meet, our fear began to grow because we began thinking he almost burned down our entire apartment. And not only that, he almost burned down our entire apartment complex. And so we all sat there, and we tried to be calm. We tried to be loving. David comes back to the apartment. And and look, we, we try not to sin. We try to address it quickly. And so we confronted David and asked him about it. And of course, he was like, oh, yeah, I got distracted. I forgot about it. And he apologized, and everything was good. We didn't sin in that instance. And I don't tell that story to talk about our anger in that moment and how we didn't sin. I tell that story to talk about how that kettle on the stove is what happens to our hearts when we let anger sit inside of us. It boils over. And then the pot gets destroyed. And then we risk burning down the apartment and the entire apartment complex. Because unresolved anger, unexpressed anger that stays inside of of us will destroy us from the inside out. And Paul says... The devil will use it as a foothold. And do you know what the devil wants to do in our lives? He wants to steal. He wants to kill. And he wants to destroy. And when we have unresolved and unexpressed anger in our lives, the devil uses it to steal our joy and to steal our peace. And he says, you know what? You should continue to nurse that anger. You should keep it inside of you because you're justified in your anger. It's okay for you. And so our anger leads our joy to be stolen. It leads our peace to be gone. But then when we we act out our anger in unhelpful and in unhealthy ways, when we just go around lashing out against people, the devil uses it to kill our relationships around us. He uses it to hurt other people. And then the devil uses it to destroy our Christian witness. The Bible says that we'll know we're Christians by our love. And so when we're being hateful and we're being angry, we're not pointing people to Christ, we're instead pointing people away from Christ. And that's exactly what the devil wants to do. So what should we do? Well, the first thing is if we have unresolved unaddressed and unexpressed anger inside of us, and it's been destroying things in our lives, maybe us, maybe relationships around us, the first thing we need to do is we need to repent. We need to acknowledge this unhealthy and unhelpful anger before God. Admit to Him that we've been harboring it, that it's been destroying things in our lives, and ask God to forgive us for the ways maybe we've lashed out maybe the ways we've kept it inside, admit that to God and ask Him to forgive us and not just forgive us, but to transform our hearts and our relationships because God wants to do that for us. He wants us to repent. But He doesn't just want us to repent. He also wants us in repentance and in future cases of anger to reflect on our anger. And so I want to encourage you, and it might be today, right? It might be today. Right after this, when you have to go cut the grass, but it's Father's Day, and you shouldn't have to cut the grass because it's Father's Day. That's a reasonable expectation, right? Maybe you're going to get angry later today. If you do, I want to encourage you to reflect. And to just take just a moment and ask yourself, why am I angry right now? What unmet expectation is going on? Were those expectations reasonable? Were those realistic? Were they clear? Were they stated? Ask yourself what you're afraid of. Think about your anger. Reflect on it, where it might be coming from. But then I encourage you to respond. To respond in a helpful way rather than a harmful way. And a helpful way to respond to our anger is, if at all possible, go to the person that has caused this anger in us Go to this person and try to seek a resolution or restoration. And this type of conversation is best done not with emojis, not with email. It's best done face-to-face, which a lot of us don't like doing. But I encourage you to go, if at all possible, have a conversation. And in that conversation, express yourself. Tell the other person how you're feeling. Now, when I do premarital counseling with people, I use a program called Prepare and Enrich. And in that program, it has some exercises that help couples communicate. Communicate assertively and listen actively. And in one of the exercises, they say, look, if you're having an issue and you want to communicate in a helpful way, tell the other person how you're feeling, but phrase it like this. I feel blank. And then express yourself. Rather than you blank. And now, this might seem like a subtle difference, but it's helpful because when you go to somebody, say your spouse, and you say, hey, I feel angry because our bank account is at zero once again. And we've been in this place many times. We've had many conversations about controlling our spending, and things don't seem to be working. And I feel like you're overspending, and we're not on the same page here. It's one way to express yourself, which is a little bit different than... You have destroyed our bank account once again. You have acted outrageously. And you are actively trying to hurt me and harm me and other people. Do you you feel the difference between the two? One is starting with I feel. And when you start with I feel, generally the other person feels less threatened. than if you start with an accusation, you blank. And so tell the other person how you feel. And then, this is a key that a lot of us miss, give them the opportunity to respond. Give them the opportunity to respond because the thing is, the story you've been telling yourself about the situation might not be the same story that they have. Because you might be thinking that they just spent all of this money that was unnecessary and they might say, actually, I spent this money on a vacation for us because I love you so much and I wanted to surprise you. That's probably not happening, right? Okay, but maybe they said, look, We actually had some unexpected expenses come up that we really had to pay for. I haven't had a chance to tell you about yet. And then the conversation is very different. Or they might say, you're exactly right, I overspent again. And look, you might not come to an immediate solution in that conversation, but you've done what you could do to try and address the issue. You've expressed your anger in a helpful way rather than a harmful way. In your anger, Paul says, do not sin. I don't know if you've ever thought about how Jesus lived out this verse. And I don't know what image comes to mind when you you think of Jesus in your head, but I think there's some common images that a lot of us think of when we think of Jesus. We got this one uh, image of Jesus. This is one that comes into my mind a lot. This was hanging at my home church growing up. Very famous picture of Jesus. And a lot of us, we have this image of Jesus. Anybody have this image of Jesus when you think about Jesus? Yeah. This is a common image that is in a lot of places. A lot of us think of Jesus that way. But then a lot of us, we have a different image of Jesus. We have this image of Jesus. Everybody say, aw. Oh. Aw. Oh. Oh. That's so sweet. That's how a lot of us view Jesus. That's okay. Jesus is loving. He's kind. He's compassionate. Some of us view Jesus that way. Some of us, we actually view Jesus... But this next image, especially if we grew up in a Roman Catholic church or crucifixes around our house, we think of Jesus on the cross, sacrificing for us. And these are all very true, good images of Jesus. But I doubt that many of you have this image of Jesus in your mind when you think about Jesus. Angry Jesus, flipping over tables in the temple with a whip in his hand. Anybody have that image of Jesus when they think about Jesus? Okay, we got one. This is the image of Jesus. Like, we don't put this up in churches and like teach kids this story at vacation Bible camp because we don't want them running around with whips and stuff, flipping over things. You know, we try to try to keep it calm. Maybe for the older kids this year, I don't know. But um, you know, we, we don't often talk about this in church or have this one displayed or have murals of this in the kids' area. But this is a very real image of Jesus that's based in Scripture. John chapter 2. In John chapter 2, we read the story that depicts this picture. And in John chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, we read this. That when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. And so he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Jesus is clearly angry here. He's clearly angry and he's expressing it. And we know that Jesus isn't sinning because in everything Jesus did, and said and thought he was without sin. And so, here, what we see is an image of anger that is different than most of the anger that we experience on a daily basis. And this is what we call righteous anger. And righteous anger is something that a lot of us have experienced and that is definitely okay to experience because righteous anger can actually be a gift from God. And this is why we're actually even created with the capability to experience anger. And righteous anger is this. It's rightly being angry at the things that anger God. Righteous anger is rightly being angry at the things that anger God. And in this scene, we see Jesus having righteous anger because he is seeing some things that anger God. He's seeing people harmed He's seeing the poor exploited, and he's seeing his father and his father's house dishonored. You see, in this scene, it's right around the time of the Passover, and every year at the Passover, Jewish people by the thousands would come from all over. They would come to the temple, and there they would provide a sacrifice that would make an atonement for their sins. And now in the Old Testament, the sacrifices that were allowed were very specific. Things like a spotless lamb, a goat, or doves. And now a lot of these people, they didn't raise these at their homes. And so they had to purchase them once they got there. Or if they had them, they couldn't take them on a super long journey. So they would buy them in the temple when they got there. And for you business people out there, when you have high demand and low supply, what happens? Prices go up, right? You make that money. And... When you purchase something in the temple, you couldn't use Roman currency. You had to convert your currency to the temple currency. And you know what happens when you convert currencies? Somebody's getting a cut. And so here, you have the prices skyrocketing for these animals that need to be sacrificed. You have these exchanges going on. And all of this causes Jesus to be angry because people simply want to do their duty to God. They want to honor God, and people are exploiting them. They're exploiting the poor in his father's house. And so here, Jesus is not just being anti-business. He's being anti-exploitation. He's being anti-exploitation because it hurts Jesus' heart when people are harmed, and especially when the poor are taken advantage of. And he saw that his father's house was being dishonored. And so he had righteous anger. And in this story, what we discover is that it's okay for us to have righteous anger as well. It's okay for anger to bubble up inside of us when we see children being abused and exploited and harmed. It's okay for us to have righteous anger when we see people being murdered. It's okay for us to have righteous anger when we see sexism in the workplace and in our culture. It's okay to have righteous anger when we see people, all races, all walks of life, all socioeconomic levels being discriminated against. It's okay to have righteous anger. But here's the thing. We can have unrighteous responses to righteous anger. And a lot of times when we have righteous anger, when we're rightly angry at the things that anger God, a lot of us, we just simply react. And so we post on Facebook and we get angry. Or we try to shame people online or people in our circles of influence. Or what a lot of us do is we just go around and we just point out all of the problems in the world and we're unwilling to do anything about it. We can have unrighteous responses to righteous anger, but what God wants from us is to reflect and then respond to that righteous anger and to express it in a healthy way. And the right way, the healthy way to respond to righteous anger is to seek to make right those things that are wrong and to seek and pursue biblical justice in a world of injustice. My friend Rodrigo Cruz, who's a fellow pastor, He shared a story with me the other day about how a few weeks ago he was at Waffle House. It's his favorite restaurant. He was at Waffle House minding his own business, eating his waffle, when he heard a couple behind him talking about the royal wedding. Anybody here see the royal wedding? Okay. Millions of people all around the world saw the royal wedding. So he heard them talking about it. He had seen the wedding, and his ears kind of perked up a little bit. And then reflecting on the royal wedding and the two people who were married... Rodrigo heard one of the people say to the other, you know what, that royal wedding and all, nothing good comes from biracial marriages. His ears perked up. The righteous anger began to well up inside of him. So he calmly walked over, pulled out his phone, and showed the couple this picture. And he said, here are four things, four good things that have come out of a biracial marriage. Because Rodrigo is from Mexico, his wife's from California. One of his children was born in Mexico, two in Georgia, and the youngest was adopted one year ago in China. Rodrigo has a multi-ethnic family. And each of them uniquely represent the image of God. And throughout Rodrigo's life and in his ministry, he has many passions. He has many talents. He has a lot of things that cause him to have righteous anger like we all do. But one of the things that causes him to have righteous anger the most is seeing discrimination in our world. Seeing racism. And also seeing how even on Sunday mornings in the church, a lot of times we're divided. Divided by race, by class, and by so much more. And so in reflecting on this, instead of just reacting to his anger, in reflecting on this, one day he felt God speaking to him. And he felt God calling him to do something about it, to respond in a helpful way. He felt God calling him to start a multi-ethnic church. And so he did. He did something very difficult, not just starting a church, right? Those of you who've been here from the beginning, you know how hard that is. He was starting a multi-ethnic church in Gwinnett County. And the purpose of the church was to reach all people in the county with Jesus Christ and to be a church that reflected the diversity of the community and that reflected the diversity of heaven here on earth. And right now this morning, they're worshiping just like we are. And when I think about his church worshiping this morning and the number of people who've been baptized, I think about how if if Rodrigo had just responded to his righteous anger, if he had just reacted to it, or if he had just kept it down inside of him, if he hadn't reflected and then responded in a healthy way, none of those people would know Jesus right now. None of those people would have a relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ. But instead of adding to the noise... Instead of continuing to be apart or just point out how we push people apart in our world today, Rodrigo decided to bring people together around Jesus Christ. And now I know there are things that anger you righteously. God has put those in our hearts. And God might be calling you to do something big like he did for Rodrigo. Maybe he's calling you to start a nonprofit. Maybe he's calling you to dedicate your profession and your career and your free time to the pursuit of justice in some area. Maybe God's calling you to do something big, but I know that most of the time, God actually calls us to start small. He calls us to pay attention to that righteous anger. He calls us to step up and help other people in need. He calls us to serve instead of just shooting out messages and angry posts about problems in our world. He calls us to see people, to serve them and to help them instead of just seeing problems. God is calling each of us to express ourselves and our righteous anger through love. After all, that's what, that's what God did. When God looked down at the world and he saw all of the destruction, all of the violence, all of the hate, in the fullness of time, God didn't destroy the world. He didn't condemn the world. Instead, he loved the world by sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, into this world so that we could all be redeemed, restored, renewed. And when Jesus came into this world and he saw the exploitation of the poor, he saw people harming one another, he saw the hate. He didn't condemn. He didn't shame people. He didn't judge people. He called out injustices and he pursued justice. He showed love and dignity to people, and ultimately, instead of just shouting, He served every single one of us by going to the cross, and by opening up His arms, and expressing His love to us in that way. And I believe this morning God is calling us to express ourselves in that same way. To express ourselves, our righteous anger, our passions, the needs we see. He's calling us to express ourselves and to address these things with arms of love. And so my prayer my hope is that we would do it. Let's pray. God, we know that even in this room right now, there is anger. There's anger at absent fathers. There's anger for stuff that's been done to us. God, some of us are angry and we're condemning ourselves because of things that we've done. And God, we pray this morning that you would give us the ability by your Holy Spirit to open up our hearts and to express the anger that we're feeling to you. God, that we would hand it over to you so that you can take that anger and you can replace it with love. You can replace that anger in our lives with forgiveness. That God, you can replace that anger in our relationships with restoration. And God, we ask that you would do that this morning. And God, we know that also in this room there is a lot of righteous anger. Because, God, we turn on the TV and we see what's going on. God, we read the newspapers. We look around us and we see the pain, we see the suffering, we see the brokenness, and we see the injustice. And God, we ask that you would help us to not just react or to just be passive and to bottle up inside, but God, we ask that you would help give us a vision for how we can express ourselves. For how we can express our righteous anger through love. Not by shaming other people, but by serving other people. God, speak to our hearts this morning. Restore us. Help us to have eyes to see the doors you're opening up for us. So that we can help right the wrongs in this world. We ask all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus the Christ. Amen.